said, uh, I'm just going to bring a brief introduction on the psalm. Steve is going to be preaching on Psalm 1. If you will, this is going to be more teaching, and what Steve is going to be bringing is more preaching, if you understand that distinction. But just for about 10 minutes, I'm going to be with you, God willing. 10 minutes, I'm going to, be do, I'm going to do my best. And I have got a few things just to introduce here about the Psalms in general. You know, what are they? Who wrote them, etc., etc. Oh, there we go. We even got a PowerPoint. And we got a video as well this morning. Can you believe it? Yeah. I threw something together quickly, but I'll get into that later on. So last week when I was preaching, uh, for those of you who are here, I mentioned that there are those moments in the, uh, in the Bible where you would like to know much more about what's going on, where you'd, be, you'd, you'd want to be privy to those little private intimate details that maybe the Bible doesn't tell you the full information about. Well, one of those, in addition to those I listed last week, Mark 14, 26, where it describes in, in the course of the Last Supper uh, story, it says, when they had sung the hymn, describing Jesus as his disciples. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard Jesus sing? Wouldn't that have been an amazing thing, to have heard the Lord singing? What do you think he sounded like? I'm sure it was beautiful. Very probably, what it's describing there, although it uses the word hymn, very probably what it's describing there is one of the so-called Hallel Psalms. That is Psalms 113 to 118, so-called because Hallel means praise. It's those psalms which in succession exhort God's people to praise the Lord. Now, next slide, please. Now, not all psalms are attached to music, but many, uh, many of them are. Some allude to musical instruments. You can see there, Psalm 4, to the leader with stringed instruments. How about Psalm 5? To the leader for the flute. Who can play the flute? I know my wife can play the flute. I know that for a fact, but... Just yeah, I've got her into trouble now. You know, people will be volunteering her to play flute. But also, some psalms explicitly describe themselves as songs. How about that in Psalm 30, verse one, a song at the dedication of the temple. Whilst others simply tell the congregation to sing. Psalm 47, verse seven, God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with. A psalm. Next slide, please. Music and the psalms have always gone hand in hand. This is true not only in the scriptures, but also throughout the history of God's people. And this is where the video comes in. Uh, we've got a, a, through this video together on Friday, illustrating how the psalms, loving the psalms as music. Uh, for many Christians, I think, can I have the next slide, please? Thank you very much. I'm still getting some of the video coming through. I think the video is still playing. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, we'll get to the slide in due time. But for many Christians, I think the Psalms have become, as you were saying before, Dave, like a collection of encouraging statements within our Bibles, like somewhere in the middle of our Bibles. I think for some Christians as well, it's become what I've called you know, fridge magnet theology. You know, those various fridge magnets that you can get, maybe quotes from the Psalms, encouraging pictures. I did, there we go. I've got this app. This is no joke. I've got an app on my phone, which is a Psalms app. And for some bizarre reason... They think that, for example, uh, an owl should be associated with Psalm 8. You get the idea. You know, fridge magnet theology. My suspicion, next slide please, is that I think that God would have us see things slightly differently. Look at this, Colossians 1.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. 
So the Psalms here are associated not only with that rich indwelling of the word, God's means of having his word dwell in us richly, but obviously there's, there's that association with the Psalms and the worship of God's people. God would have us worship with the Psalms, with hymns and spiritual songs too, but with the Psalms. And for some bizarre reason, in certain traditions of evangelicalism, we've, we've lost that. It's good, though, that this morning... Uh, we have at least, you know, we've sought to reclaim that. And I believe God has honored it with his presence. And I think that God has uh, blessed us this morning in worship. Can I have the next slide, please? The problem, I think, for many of us, uh, at least, is that the Psalms are easy to sort of collapse all into one. Uh, we don't really know how to navigate them, and so we don't really. We just kind of pick and mix. Hence the sermon series, hence Steve preaching on Psalm 1. But for new, for, for new, for now, just a few little pointers to help us orientate things. First question, you know, why are the Psalms arranged into five books? Because they are. You might have noticed this in your own readings. Book 1, uh, Psalms 1 to 41, then you've got Psalms 42 to 72, and so on, as you can see on the slide. Now, what's the reason? Well, it's possibly to symbolize the Torah, the five, first five books of the Bible. And there's that structure, there's that imitation of what Moses uh, wrote in the Torah, in the Pentateuch. But you've also got possibly a picture of the, the past of God's people, the history of God's people, and the future of God's people. The Psalms are arranged in order to tell this big story about all that God has done and is doing in his kingdom and with the Messiah pointing forward. I'd really recommend uh, a video by The Bible Project, uh, which gives you a sort of overview on this. Uh, they go for that latter option that is telling a big story. The truth, though, is that we don't really completely know. It's like, as I said last week about, I think, 1 Corinthians 1, some details there. You know, sometimes these are just guesses. We don't know definitely. Augustine himself said, St. Augustine, the arrangement of the psalm seems to me to contain the secret of a mighty mystery. We might never fathom it completely. Maybe in heaven we can ask the Lord, but certainly there are signs of something. Next, uh, next slide, please. So who wrote the psalms? David is attached to 73 of them in the book of Psalms itself. Interestingly, I think the Lord Jesus himself ascribes to David two more than are actually uh, ascribed in the book of Psalms themselves. So we would say, wouldn't we, 75 psalms are written by, the Lord, uh, by David. You've got 11 psalms written by the sons of Korah. Interestingly, he was one of the rebels, wasn't he? Do you remember in, in, the, in Numbers, I believe it was, wasn't it? Numbers? Am I right in remembering that? Numbers, I think. Yeah, I am right. Numbers. But yes, sons of Korah, descendants of Korah, who uh, gave themselves up to the Lord, unlike their ancestor, and faithfully wrote psalms of worship and praise. You've got Asaph, who was appointed by David as his choir master. You can read that in 1 Chronicles 6. Yeah, that's ascribed 12 psalms. And then you've got a bunch of others. Moses is ascribed to one, uh, Solomon, Ethan, and Haman, the Ezraite. And then some are just uh, not given any ascription whatsoever. Next slide, please. Then there are different kinds of psalm, aren't there? You might notice this when you're reading, that there are, some psalms feel very different to others. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul, is very different than those psalms where, where David or others are trying to exact revenge upon their enemies, asking the Lord to do justice to, their, to his enemies. There are different kinds of psalms, and it's right as we move forward in this series that we observe those different kinds and, and examine them. 
So first of all, you've got imprecatory, so-called imprecatory psalms. Those are the ones where David and others ask the Lord to exact justice on his enemies, to, have, to be vindicated in the face of their enemies. Psalms of thanksgiving, fairly straightforward. Psalms of praise and exaltation, thanking God for his grace, uh, exalting God for his praise and mercy. Grace and mercy, so that should say exalts. Uh, lament, psalms of lament, in which the author expresses grief usually directed towards God. Uh, Next slide, please. And you've got psalms of supplication, in which the author petitions God to show mercy. Psalms of confession. Psalm 51 is a great example. You know, create in me a clean heart, O God. Psalms of doctrine. Now, of course, all the the psalms are doctrinal in the loosest sense, but some psalms, like, for example, the heavens are declaring the work, you know, that one, wonderful psalms in which God's nature and his works and his history are described in much more detail. Then you've got psalms of wisdom. Now, you might know this from the book of Job or Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. You know, those where the, the lives of the, of the wise and the foolish are described, the righteous and the unrighteous. One goes to life, the other one goes to death. And some psalms follow very similarly. Psalm 1 has wisdom aspects to it. And then you've also got psalms of liturgy directed at or usually involving the congregation. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Prophetic warning. Uh, as in my words there, in which God reads the riot act to Israel or surrounding nations. Uh, why do the nations scoff? You know, Psalm 2 is a great example of that. Uh, then you've got messianic psalms, Psalm 89, Psalm 110, Psalm uh, 22. You know, these great psalms in which Jesus is foreshadowed, the ministry, the cross, the resurrection, the nature of Christ himself are foreshadowed and it's all pointing towards him. The Psalms, uh, as I now close and hand over to Steve, the Psalms are one of God's very precious gifts to us. One of my earliest memories was my mum showing me how to find them. You know, like put your thumb in the middle and usually, most of the time, you find them. And I always remember how this, that, that particular moment because the Psalms became this, this resource for me, this wonderful treasure chest. And I would further add, I think it is God's treasure chest to all of us. I'm going to use the quotes of uh, the 16th century reformer John Calvin here. The varied and splendid riches which are contained in this treasury are not easy to express in words. Some have have accustomed to call this book an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Holy Spirit has here drawn to life all the griefs, Sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, and cares of men. It's like a bright mirror that God puts up and he goes, I know your frame. I know what it's like. I am with you. I am, in the words of one of the Psalms, a very present help in times of trouble. That is what the Psalms are for us. And I encourage us as as we now listen and receive from Steve, as we go through with this sermon series to take that gift with both hands and our own lives, perhaps build on that. I've got some great resources. If you want to start singing the Psalms in your own daily devotions, if you want to start reading them in more detail, I've got, devo- I've got resources that I-, I can recommend, so come and talk to me afterwards. But I- it's now my pleasure to hand over to Steve. Thank you very much. I hope that was 10 minutes.
Thank you, Nathan. Um, oh, that's nice. Yes. <laughs> that was amazing, Nathan. Um, they say about um, uh, performers not following children and animals. Well, I think I shouldn't follow Nathan. So, <laughs> thank you. It's excellent, amazing um, introduction. Um, real teaching. There is so much in the Psalms that we can take on board and apply to our lives. We, uh, as that last quote was, there is so much emotion in the Psalms that however we feel, there is something there to express um, just how we are at that moment. So whatever your life is like, there is something there for you to find a little treasure chest of uh, description. Sometimes we can't find the words, can we? And that's one of the amazing things about having a hymn book full of hymns is that we can uh, take those and, and sing them to ourselves and to God that, to express how we feel. Well, that's what the Psalms are all about. And it's amazing to have them. So um, we come to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, um, as uh, Nathan mentioned, we, is to do with wisdom. And it's really the introduction to the whole of the Psalms. Um, and it sets out a contrast for us. Um, I'm just going to read it to you. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's just have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. We thank you that Jesus is upon the throne and he is within our hearts as we've been reminded of already this morning. Lord, as we come to look into your word, we just ask that you would just calm our hearts and our minds that you would deal with the emotions that are troubling us for some of us dear father um, there are troubles at work or at home there are troubles with family or friends or neighbors there are concerns about what is going on in the world and father we we do not have the answers to all of these problems. But this morning, 
we just ask that you would enclose us with yourself and that you would speak and magnify your name and be glorified. Not through me, but as your Holy Spirit works in our lives. May this be a one-to-one encounter with Jesus Christ this morning for each of us. We ask it for Jesus' sake alone. Amen. Well, many of you will know that I dealt with the Beatitudes last year. And uh, the, the blessings of the Beatitudes that can be applied to us. And uh, some of you will know um, that uh, each one of the Beatitudes starts with that blessed. Blessed is the man or whatever it happens to be. Blessed are the poor in spirit, I think, is the first one. If I asked you to start naming them, being as we've, I've spoken on all of them, and I asked you all then to start naming them, I'm sure you could. Because I couldn't. Um, it's one of those things that we sometimes forget. Uh, somebody uh, mentioned to me uh, the men's meeting. Oh, we had a good sermon on Sunday, didn't we? Because Nathan was preaching. And, um, uh, and I said, yes. And immediately my mind thought, what was it? Oh, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But for the life of me, could I re- not remember a word? Isn't it amazing how our mind switches off? From things. Uh, so we constantly need to be reminded of these things. That's why we should daily pick up God's word and be daily applying it to our lives. So I'm dealing now with another blessing away from the Beatitudes that was wrote many years before. It's like a prequel. You know what? You know the uh, these films. They produce a film based on a book, and they pick pick out the middle of the book or the second in the series, similar to Star Wars. They come out with the first three Star Wars, and then what happens is a few years later they decide to go back and do the first three after. Well, in a sense, uh, we've done the blessed uh, of the Beatitudes, and now we come and do a prequel. We come back to the original blessing. That God gave. We're not sure who the author is. Um, Possibly Solomon, some people say. Because some of the words that he uses um, were, I think, are found in Ecclesiastes um, rather than in the Psalms. But however you look at it, this book, this first chapter, this first Uh, psalm is about the blessedness of the man the happy the happy man who is full of happiness it's a it's not just blessed is that person but the multiple blessings it's in the plural there are multiple blessings to following God and being with God Really, this psalm sets out a contrast for us, doesn't it? It sets out a contrast between two different ways. You probably heard that as I was reading it. It talks about the ungodly man as well as the blessed man, doesn't it? But I have a slightly different take on it for you this morning. 
You see, if you think about it being all about the blessed man, just for a minute, in verse 1, the blessed man doesn't do certain things. In verse 2, the blessed man does certain things. He delights in the Lord, for instance. In verse 3, the blessed man is like. In verse 4, the blessed man is not like this. And in verse 5, the blessed man's looks towards eternity. And in verse 6, the blessed man has a blessed and lasting relationship. Friends, we need to think about the blessed man. But before we do that, I do think that it's worthy of note about the ungodly man, or in some of your Bibles it might say wicked man. And um, in a sense, as we think about our lives, I wonder whether you think about the ungodly man or the wicked man, you think maybe of what the Lord has said in the Word particularly maybe Romans and chapter 3, verse 23. Do you remember that? Um, for some reason, I've got my marker in the wrong place. But there it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isn't that? That means every one of us in this room, based upon what God has said, are all ungodly. In our natural state, we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. That's the statement of Almighty God towards each and every one of us. In our natural state, we have failed. You know, in, um, in John's Gospel, in chapter 10, we have some amazing words. In verse 27, Jesus is speaking, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I will give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one, and the Jews stuck, took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Friends, I would say that Psalm 1, the blessed man is Jesus Christ himself. Because he's the only one who has the resources in God to be blessed. Totally. The ungodly, what does it say? There will not be able to stand in the judgment 
or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Right at the end it says, the way of the ungodly shall perish. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the kingdom of God. We are all deserving of a life that will perish. That is the message, the serious message that the wise will listen to and hear. And you see, Jesus says, I will give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Jesus is the answer to our problems. Jesus is the answer to this world. The problem is that most people, what do they do? They don't want to know about Jesus. Sometimes we talk, I, I don't know about you, and I, I, I forgive you, um, but some of us talk about God. Oh, God's helped me with this, and God's helped me with that. But some of us would avoid saying, though, Jesus has helped me with this. It's Jesus that is our saviour. It is a personal living relationship with Jesus that we have to recognize. It is Jesus that is the blessed man. It is Jesus that has all the resources of heaven in him. And we are to come and make Jesus our own. He offers us eternal life. He offers to take us from condemnation into eternity with him so we will be able to sit in the congregation of the righteous that we will be able to stand in the judgment that the Lord will know us isn't that amazing that the Lord will know us Jesus Christ is the amazing God who gave his life he created each and every one of us he holds Every atom of the universe together. In him all things consist. And yet somehow, in all of that, he was able to come and live within a human body and suffer upon this world, going through many, many difficulties, some of them we know about some of them we will never know about until we're in eternity many of the problems and difficulties that we have gone through he has gone through already and he says fear not I have overcome the world you see we have a God in whom we can trust Jesus is the one that will never walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He'll never stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. You see, there's a, here there is a, what I would say is a, a spiral away from God. A spiral that is away from God. First of all, it talks about the ungodly or the wicked, that... Uh, uh, they, they don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, this, this is talking about our condition. This is talking about us being all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our condition is that we are in our natural state, wicked and ungodly before an almighty God who is reigning in the heavens. 
whom the angels worship. We are all wicked before him. We are all deserving of the judgment. It is clear that this is God's testimony. Our condition is that we are without God. And because God contains the whole of the universe, that He is the one who upholds all things, and yet we choose to go our own way, then we have dishonored Him. And we are classed as those who are wicked before Him. That is our condition. That is the condition that God gives us a summary judgment in this psalm to our lives. But then there is the way of sinners. The way of sinners is a walking, isn't it? You walk in the way. So this is an action. David said in, I think it might have been another psalm, in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, that was his condition. None of us can help our condition. We've all failed God. But the problem is, we're all without excuse, because not only is it our condition, but we've actually done things against God. Our way, our action, is away from God. Not only is our condition wrong, but... Every single one of us, if I asked you, have you lived a perfect life, you would have to hold up your hand and say no. Wouldn't we? Every single one of us here, it doesn't matter who we are, we have all failed to live a perfect life. I've failed my expectations. I've failed my parents' expectations many times. I've failed my wife's expectations many times, my daughter's expectations many times, and the list goes on. Doesn't it? And we can say more or less the same things in each one of our lives. Our actions make us failures. But then... We're not to sit in the seat of the scornful. This is not just a condition. This is not an action that we take. But this is a choice that we make. We say, God's over there. I am going to definitely sit over here. I am making my choice. I am sitting here. Does that make sense? Friends, there are lots of people in this world whose condition is that they are ungodly, they're not following God. In fact, every one of us are in that condition. There are many of us, in fact, every one of us that has taken the action of doing things wrong. And so we are a sinner, by definition. But not everybody is sitting in the seat of the scornful. They haven't made that choice deliberately in their own lives. That I reject God, I reject God's ways, I want to live without God. The problem is, 
Every time we take an action that is anti-God, that hurts others, that hurts God, we're making our way towards that seat. Slowly but surely. And repentance means that we stop going towards that seat and we turn and start going towards Jesus Christ. Today, are you facing the seat of the scornful? Are you making a choice, whether consciously or unconsciously, to put God out of sight and out of mind? I leave you to think about the consequences of that as you reread Psalm 1 in your own life. Let us not make that choice, but let us choose life. Let us choose Christ. There is so much to say in this psalm, and, um, and the psalm says, Blessed is the man, and we think something wonderful is coming, and then we get these knots. Because this is the serious message that God is interested in letting each and every one of us know. We have to face these consequences in our lives. We have to face the choices of which direction are we going. That's the most fundamental position in our life. It's not what job you've got, what career you've got, who you're married, how big your house is, what car you're driving. None of those things really deeply matter because some of the famous film stars are the people that kill themselves, commit suicide, take drugs. doesn't matter... What matters is what's in your heart. And if Jesus Christ isn't in your heart, and if you are not loving Him and following Him, then you're going your own way. Verse 2. The verse 2 of what He does. The blessed man does delight in the law of the Lord. And in His law does He meditate day and night. This is, means that he's not, going, he's not facing the seat of the scornful. Away from God. He's facing, he's walking towards God. His delight is that God is in control of his life. That God is his focus. That he is for him. I would say that this verse too is that the Lord is his delight. It's the law of the Lord that is his delight. As well as the Lord. And it is the meditation on the Lord that brings delight. And that brings fellowship with the Lord. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's the Lord. Friends, do we delight in Jesus this morning? The problem is, as Christians... What comes against us is the weeds and the problems and the thorns and the thistles of this world. And what happens is we start concentrating on them. Right in front of us. Oh, that thorn hurts there. That thistle. Oh, I wish that wasn't growing up. What am I going to do about that? And we're not delighting in Jesus. We're focusing on the problems around us. And we've forgotten to meditate on the Lord and put Him first in our lives Instead of walking towards the seat, we've turned, we're following towards Jesus, but then our eyes have gone off the Lord and onto the problems 
that are around us. And we stop and we stumble and we fall and get discouraged and disheartened. Oh friends, let us recognize that it is in Jesus that we are truly blessed. And it is in Jesus that we need to focus our lives upon. The blessed man in verse 3 is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Um, he then goes on in verse 4 and says, The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Do you know what the chaff is? Some of you might know. Some of you might not. Um, I get a little bit of chaff sometimes in my porridge. Um, you know, we, we, get, we get jumbo oats. Uh, organic jumbo oats. And we soak them for a little while and then make porridge. Not every morning, but sometimes. And occasionally you get a little bit of the shell. That's what we're talking about, the chaff. You can't eat it. It's horrible. It actually sort of sticks in your teeth sometimes and it's a problem. So what would, when you're growing the wheat or the barley and you come to cut it down, how do you get the good stuff out of the end? Well, you would take it up the hill where the wind is starting to blow and you'd bash it and you would get all the seeds off, and whilst you're bashing all the seeds out, some of the chaff would fall off. The outer casing of the shell would fall off. But a lot of it was still on there. So what you would do is you would be shaking it up and down in a small vessel. And as you shook it up, all the loose chaff would be blown away by the wind. And all the seed would come into the basket, or whatever you had. And you kept doing it and kept doing it until you were just left with the seed. This is a massive contrast between a tree that is rooted and grounded. A tree need, well, I think there was on the news that last week there was a real heavy winds, wasn't there? Sort of 70, 80 mile an hour winds. And there was this big tree that had fallen onto a car. And there was, oh, what a disaster. Friends, that, trees don't normally blow down. So it made national news that this tree had fallen on a car. When there's other things going on in the world, you just wonder. But the chaff is completely different. The chaff just blows away. It's got no substance, no, no sustenance. It's just worthless. There's such a contrast. Our lives in Jesus Christ mean something. They mean something. For now and for eternity. We are people with a purpose and a goal in life. We are planted, it says. God has transplanted us. He's taken us out of the pit. And he's transplanted us into God's own garden. We are in this world. This is God's world. It is our Father's world. And we are rooted and grounded in Christ. In Ephesians in chapter 3, it says we're rooted and grounded in love. And in Colossians in chapter 2 verse 7 it says we are rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus.
If you think of your, uh, the, yourself as a blessed man, it's because your roots go down into Jesus Christ. They create a network which of, if I can say that the roots of the tree are like strands of faith. They're like strands of faith that are going down deeper. Every day, getting just a little bit deeper, getting the best nutrients from the ground. Friends, are you going deeper? When the wind blows, the tree drives its roots even deeper for stability. The roots anchor it. Friends, are the winds of adversity blowing in your life? In the Song of Solomon, there's a beautiful phrase where it talks about the south winds and the north wind blowing. Come and blow upon your garden. Because it doesn't matter whether it's the south wind of, of just wonder and love and joy and everything's going well. Or the north wind of adversity that's blowing through your life. All that will happen is the spices and the sweet incense will flow in your life and God will be glorified. Friends, are we living for Jesus Christ? Are we planted? Are we rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ? Are you? I hope you are. I hope that you, by faith, are trusting in Jesus more and more every day. And not in the problems and the difficulties of the world around us. Yeah, we all have them. We can't ignore them. But friends, they are there to make us stronger. To make our roots go deeper into Jesus. The tree was watered by the rivers of water. It reminds me of the river of life, the living waters. They're plentiful. They're overflowing. There's enough to feed us at every moment. It doesn't matter whether the ground around is barren. You know, if you go into Egypt, um, the trees tend to be very close to the Nile. But you get a few meters away or more than a few meters and unless it's, the land has been irrigated by the river, there's nothing. It doesn't matter where we've planted. It doesn't matter where we are, where our circumstances are. God has promised to plant us by a river of water that will make a difference in our lives. Whatever situation you face, there is a river of life that is at your disposal and to fill your life and to make your life full of all that it needs so that you can draw up the nutrients from Jesus Christ and you can live for him. In John chapter 7, Jesus says in verse 38, that rivers of living water will flow f through us. Out of our bellies shall flow liv living water. You know, if a tree sort of shrivels up, what happens? The leaves will wither. The fruit will wither. But a tree that's fully getting all the nutrients and all the water it needs, the fruit will be fatter. The leaves will be broader and greener. That's why it says of the tree, he bringeth forth his fruit in his season. The fruit... What can you think about the fruit? Really, the fruit's the glory of the tree, isn't it? 
the glory of the tree. But it doesn't bear fruit all the time. There's not many trees that I know that bear fruit all the time. But what is the fruit for? It's there to benefit others, isn't it? Is your life a benefit to others around you? Or do you complain and moan and groan about everybody around you? Nobody's any better than you. Some of us, can't we? We really can moan and groan about everybody and everything that's going on in our life. There's never a good word to say. We know people like that, don't we? I'm sure we do. Dawn thinks, yes, Steve's standing at the front there. It's true, we can all moan from time to time, and that's okay. God, as we'll find out in the Psalms, if you read the Psalms on a regular basis, there, there are many Psalms, that, as um, Nathan said, that are, are, that are like prayers, complaints to God. Complaints. Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Why have you done this? What, what, this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. Why have you forsaken me? Friends, there are times when there isn't fruit. There are times that it isn't our season to bear fruit. We're not benefiting others. We're in the difficult desert times of life. We're in those night seasons of life. But our times are in His hands. He is working out his perfect work. And he is creating a difference in us, preparing us for him. Joy will come in the morning. There will be fruit in its season. Seasons are the part, are a part of the growing process. And we have to grow from being men who have been ungodly, who have been sinners, into men and women who are walking for Jesus Christ, who are sons and daughters of the living God, who are going to take our place, who are going to be robed in white and in glory, who are going to have garments of righteousness, and we are going to stand before the throne of glory. We are going to be jewels in his crown. Friends, we, this is a season of our life which when we consider it to a million years from now is just a very blink of the eye. Our God reigns. Our, I, I, I was reading, listening to somebody, I can't even remember who it was now, recently, and they talked about Jesus Christ. The Almighty God came and limited himself to a human body. And he's taken on that human body for all of eternity. What better guarantee can we have that God will keep us for all eternity The knowing that God will be like us and we will be like God and we will share eternity with Him. 
What an amazing thought. We are the children of the living God. There may be seasons of difficulty, but they are coming to an end. Joy will come in the morning. Another benefit of the fruit is not that we just glory in the tree, that we glory in God and in what he's done for us, but another benefit of the fruit, uh, other than the benefit that we give to others by the fruit, but is that really in the fruit is the seed of new life. If we are bearing fruit, new life can spring from that. God has chosen to work through us, through my measly life, and yours too, to touch other people around us. God saves in His time, but somehow He uses us to do it. And we can praise Him and look to Him. Not only does this tree bear its fruit in its season, but its leaf also shall not wither. There's vitality in God's life. You know, some of us may have come in here rejoicing in Jesus this morning. And, and we've just added to the atmosphere and we've just praised God. Some of us have come in here with heavy hearts, sad hearts. Some of us may have even come in here and had grumbling in our in our hearts because of difficult situations that we're in. But you know, God has been here and He's heard every single thing that we've thought in our minds. He's heard the lips, the praises of our lips. He is a God in whom we can trust day by day. He has made a difference. I hope you, you can say that as you've been thinking and worshipping and praising God, as you think of God's blessing in your life as, we've been, as I've been speaking, that you can say, Jesus has changed my attitude from when I come in and I can praise His name. But friends, I'll, we're not concentrating on the weeds around us, but we are focusing, sing, focusing on God. That God's life is allowed to flow through us. That His life brings life to every leaf of our lives. Every part of us, God's life can flow into and He can make a difference. We're not like the trees that are out there in the fields just around us. Bare of leaves. We are evergreens. We have leaves all year round, whatever the season and the situation. We have a God who is sustaining us, even when we don't feel it. Because my emotions lie to me sometimes. And sometimes my head will lie to me. And sometimes my will says, oh, it's better over here. It's better than over this way. Why don't you do your own way? No, 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 I won't go that way. I choose Jesus Christ. I choose Him. Friends, you might feel that sometimes you're in the drought of life. 
where every single part of your life can be sustained by Jesus. If you will only moment by moment trust Him and look to Him. The last part of verse 3 says, Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know, I'm not sure I've ever seen a tree pick up a hammer or an axe. I'm not sure I've ever seen a tree walking down um, the road with a toolbox. Quite an imagination if you have. Um, but a tree does what it does naturally. It doesn't have to work hard to be a tree. You don't hear a tree groaning, oh, I need to make this fruit. It just happens, doesn't it? Based upon the gifts of the nutrients in the soil and the water that it gets. If Friends, if we are rooted and grounded in Christ, He has overcome the world, He's overcome the flesh, He's overcome the devil, He has all the infinite resources of heaven at His disposal, and He will provide for our every need. He is the bread of life, and He's the water of life, and He can make a difference for each and every one of us, and we can prosper in Him. Whatever your situation, we can prosper in Him. I've got no idea where I am in my Bible notes, but I'm just going to uh, go to, I think it's Timothy. Yes, Timothy, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Um. No, it isn't. Isn't that amazing? You've only wrote down the note this morning and you get it wrong. I think it was 2 Timothy. You'll know that. You know... I think it's, ah, I found it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. What an amazing statement, isn't it? We have a crown of righteousness ahead of us. That, we, that Paul was able to say, I've finished the course. I've fought the good fight. I'm looking forward. And guess where he was? You know where he is, don't you? He was in prison. For many of us, well, I, I, I guess that none of us here are in prison. Some of us might be out on bail, you never know. But I guess that none of us here are in prison. 
So, do we have any excuse to despair of life? Or of the future? Friends, let us turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Till the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's what we need. I'm closing. I have been a lot, I cannot believe the time. I've been a lot longer than I anticipated and I've so many other things to say. I've only got through three verses. I'm closing with, um, with just maybe one or two quick verses of Scripture. Psalm 139 verse 3. Thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. God knows everything that you're going through. He understands all that you are dealing with. He's acquainted with all your ways. He knows you. He knows you. And he will prosper you. He will make a difference. You can make a difference where you are when we turn to Jesus. And friends, if you want to be a blessed man or woman, and you're not sure whether you're on this road towards this seat of the scornful, if you're making choices that are taking you further away from the Lord Jesus, then I would say that you need to start to walk in the light as He is in the light. It's there that we can have fellowship one with another. And it's there that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. I come back to what we started with. That we are all by condition ungodly in our lives. We have all taken actions that make us sinners. But it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. If you are feeling guilty about anything, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that needs to be applied to your life. Will you reach out in faith to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, come and be my life because I'm a failure. Lord, come and make a difference because I cannot do it, but you can. Every single day of our lives, we can trust Jesus. We can prove him to be faithful to the very end. May God bless each and every one of us. Amen. Apologies for going on so long. 